0: The scripture reading this morning will come from Colossians 3.22 and 4.1. If you're reading along in the Pew Bible, that will be on page 1047. Again, Colossians 3.22 and 4.1. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And then 4.1. Masters, give your bond servants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven.: Good morning. It is good to see each of you this morning. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. It's wonderful to have several back from break and others back from the campaign. Last Sunday, I hear, was a tremendous day here at Mount Juliet. I'm so thankful for Daniel and for Doug, for their life, but also for them preaching last Sunday and the great good that was done in proclaiming God's Word. That very same time, we were beginning a campaign in El Salvador, in Perulapon and also in Tanake. And there, uh, we had 10 baptisms and one restoration. And uh, several were on that trip. Others of you were praying and, and giving financially and helping in other ways. And, and uh, we thank you, and we thank God. And I want to encourage you. Uh, let's give all the glory and the praise to God. It's good that we fulfill the Great Commission and I want to encourage you uh, to have the burden of souls in your heart, in your mind at all times. I want to encourage you to be praying fervently for the people around the world that haven't had the one opportunity that you're having today. And that is to hear the gospel and to respond to it. And it's really sobering to think how many people around the world have never had that opportunity once. And we've had it so many times. I think about sitting down the other day with a storekeeper. His name was Hugo. And we studied for probably about five hours on two different days. And at one point, I laid out a version of a timeline. And in that, I showed him where the Lord's church began just 50 days after the cross. And I told him that that's why we were in his community was telling people about the Lord and what they could be a part of. And him knowing pretty much only Catholicism and knowing that that did not begin to the third or the fourth century. And so after we talked a good while and toward the end of the study, with no antagonistic attitude at all, but in sheer curiosity, with some doubt, I saw this older businessman of his town reach back and scratch his head and he looked up and he put his arms out and he said, if this church you're telling me about really began right there, just right after the cross, and if it is really that old, why am I just now hearing about it? I began by apologizing to him that we as Christians have not done our duty, but that's why we're here. I told him that's why we took the long trip, was we're trying to do better. Brethren, we cannot lose sight of our mission. There's a reason that we have grown comfortable calling the mission the Great Commission because so much is at stake. And I appreciate the Mount Juliet congregation so much. And I appreciate the fact that we strive to reach our neighbors around us and the souls in this community. But God has given us so much, so much in resources, whether it's financially, but also in people. And I wanna encourage you to dream bigger. I love our missions committee. I wanna challenge you to do more. What is it that we can do To reach the world. So fewer and fewer people can say what Hugo said. A.T. Robertson makes a very keen observation as he says, real Christianity is both a doctrine and a life. Mere belief is dead without life as proof. Real spiritual life is impossible without vital contact with God and Christ. And our dealing with others becomes the final proof of our real connection with Christ. Do you realize that Christianity is designed to change us in such a way that it affects every relationship in which we share? Christianity is not a punishment. It should not be considered a burden. Oh, now I'm a Christian, so now God's punished me. So when I go into my home, now I have to act this way. When I go into work, now I have to act this way. Oh, I wish I wasn't a Christian so that I could do things a better way. And if Satan has whispered that in your mind and in your ears and in your heart, I hope you'll come to realize as we do this study through Colossians that Christianity isn't an act. And it's not an act of burden or punishment, that it is a life that is a blessing. It's not that that blessing is always easy, but nevertheless, it is always a blessing. And when we truly grasp the Christian life, not only are we blessed, but get this, we become a blessing to others oh for all of us to gain this understanding of the christian faith we looked at this chart a couple of weeks ago and In this chart, the simple idea that I wanted to convey to you that as we study through the book of Colossians, the first two chapters are about theology. It's about how God and Christ and the Spirit have impacted us. And if we study God, we have a great understanding of the last two chapters, three and four, that become very practical. If we understand God, how does that affect our life? How does that affect what we love? How does that affect how we love? And so the idea is let's understand God, but then our understanding of God should change our life. The reason I think it's important for us to remember that this morning is because I would guess that what we're about to study, there would be several in this auditorium that will be very quick to make excuses for yourself. You'll try to justify how this passage just doesn't apply to you you'll probably say things like, oh, but that could never happen in my workplace. That could never be done with the boss that I have. That could never be done in the kind of business that I do business in. And I want to suggest to you at the beginning of this study that if we understand God as the preeminent God, the king who sits on the throne and we are his kingdom people, we must realize that this new life, Colossians 3 and verse 3, we put the old life to death and the new life, Colossians 3 and 4 became Christ. Did you get that? It didn't become us acting like Christ. It became, we become a reflection of Christ. Not an act, but the real deal. We are becoming Christ so that in Colossians 3 and 10, that we, as this new creation, are an image of him. We are an icon of him. We look like Christ in our workplace. We go to work and we work like Christ would work in our shoes. And someone says, wow, you're different. Yes, I am different. You used to see the way I went to work. Now you see the way Christ would go to work. Yes, I'm different. You used to see the way I was hard to get along with. Now you see how Christ would get along with people. You used to see me motivated for other reasons. Now you see me motivated for the highest reason. Listen, if we can understand this text, not only is our life going to be impacted, but the place that we work is going to be impacted and more than likely souls in that place where we work are also going to be impacted. So what can we learn? If you will join with me in Colossians, the third chapter in verse 22, notice he speaks to bond servants. I'll remind you that 18 through 21, he's already spoken about the relationships at home. And isn't it interesting now, he goes to the other place, that we spend a lot of time and he goes to the workplace. In their culture, in the first century, there would have been so many bond servants that that would have been a common way to speak to those who were workers. It's hard for us to imagine the, the vast, the huge volume of bond servants. And, and I would suppose that if Paul were writing this today, instead of saying bond service today, he would say, I want to talk to employers and then you get into employees and then you get down to the fourth chapter in verse one and he would say, now I want to talk to employers. And But nevertheless, the wording, we know for sure he's talking in the first several verses here to those who work for someone else. And we know in the fourth chapter in verse one, he's talking to those who have someone or others that work for them. And the whole premise, and tonight we'll back up and we'll put this even in its broader context of Colossians here. And, but we'll see that the whole premise is you're going to do this differently if you're a Christian than if you were not a Christian. And the first thing he would uphold is that of submissiveness. The very first thing he says, he addresses in verse 22, bond servants, and the next word is obey. Obey in how much? Obey in all things. Who? Your masters. Well, wait a minute, why are they my masters? According to the flesh. They're not your master spiritually. They're not your master in your home but they are your master in the workplace, in that fleshly place. And he says, I want you because now you belong to me. You remember a lot of weeks we've been going over Colossians 1, 13. We can be in the power of darkness, but we have been conveyed into the kingdom of his dear son. And as kingdom people, there are characteristics that become a part of our life And one of the characteristics that becomes a part of kingdom people is they understand and even appreciate submissiveness. We can't have the king of kings being the king of our life if we refuse to be submissive. We'll be over here in the power of darkness where we say, Lord, I want to do it my way. To come over to the king of kings, we have to be submissive. And then that submissiveness becomes a part of our life. And it's a beautiful part of our life. Can I remind you of 1 Corinthians the 13th, 14th chapter? In 1 Corinthians the 14th chapter, we have that setting where there had become a lot of disorder in the worship service. And so what he does is he gives three very specific teachings of how he wants to gain a better order in the worship service. And then he lays out a principle that those details are going to stand upon. Look, if you will, in the 14th chapter, if you have your Bible open, look at verse 33. He says, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. When you go to a workplace and people will not submit to the powers above them, it creates disorder. It's a lack of productivity that oftentimes comes out of that. And oftentimes there's an environment where people say, I just don't like working here. There's chaos. There's something beautiful about a work environment that's peaceful. A work environment you don't dread going to because people really do get along. Things really do move forward. There really is productivity. Listen, we can't control what all of our coworkers do. We can't even control what the employer and the boss and the supervisor does. But as he says... In Romans, the 12th chapter, towards the end of the chapter, when it comes to peace, as much as that, that lies within us, we need to be peaceful with all men. In other words, what he's saying in that passage in Romans 12, 17, and 18 is he's saying, You do your part to bring peace into a situation. Why? Because God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God's people do not go around creating chaos in the workplace. Now pause on that meditate upon that. How would your worker, your coworkers describe you? How would your supervisors or those in charge of you, do, how would they describe you? You say, "Well, that's just the way I am." No. It may be the way you were in the flesh. But now that we've come to the king, you are you We're supposed to have crucified that old man. You were supposed to become a new creation. And in that, we become very, very different. Why do we obey in all things? If you will, look at the rest of verse 22. Look at this second half as we think about a life of sincerity. This is what the principle that the first part of verse 22 stands, that's that's the detail, but it stands on this beautiful principle. Here's the problem when we don't do the first part. We're gonna obey in all things, but notice the last half. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but here's the contrast, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Do you work the same when the boss is looking and when the boss isn't looking? Some of you do jobs where maybe the one that is over you is not in your sight very often during the entire day. How would you do your job differently if they were in sight all day? Some of you do jobs where you're in sight of your superior all day long. How would you work if you were not inside of them all day long? You see, his point here is it's about a heart of sincerity. You see, when we come back to this idea, move away from that heart of sincerity for just a moment. We we come to this idea of, okay, so you're saying that God wants me to work diligently. He wants me to work hard. And it doesn't matter if if the superior is in the presence or not in the presence. And the the answer would be absolutely yes. And then oftentimes we would begin to make excuses again. We'd make excuses like, they don't pay me enough for that. Or I'm not going to work hard like that because I don't even like my job. Or some would say I'm not going to work hard like that because I have a job that really doesn't matter. Or you can probably think of some other excuses. Brethren, I need to grasp this. This is very important. God says through Paul here, I want you to work as if the boss is standing there. But the truth is, I want you to work that way because you are a sincere person. Listen, it is dangerous to get in the habit of hypocrisy. You think of the ones that Jesus had very, very little patience with, and it was the hypocrites. You think of the ones that will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, and it is hypocrites. And so what the Lord does here is he tries to kind of wake up our eyes because Satan will lie to us. Satan will deceive us. Satan will try to make us think that something real important is not important at all. And he'll give us a whole boatload of excuses of why it's not important. And here Paul says, wait a minute. Do you realize that if you start this business of when the boss is looking, I work really hard and when he's not looking, I just kind of do what I want to do. And I make up all these excuses of why that's okay. And he says, do you realize you've just become a hypocrite? You act one way in one situation and you're a completely different person in another situation. That's the very heart of hypocrisy. Sincerity means singleness. We love sincere people because we trust them. How many times have you seen someone you say, oh, I appreciate them. They they treat everybody the same. See, they're not one thing to one group of people and one thing to another. Somebody say, I love them. You know, they're the same in all situations. It's not that they're one way in one situation, another way in another situation. When you see someone and you can just pretty much count on them doing the right thing, no matter who's involved, no matter what the situation, no matter where they are geographically, no matter what time of the week it is, you can always count on them doing the right thing. And you say, how does God describe that? Sincere. God says, I want you to go to work and I want you to be a sincere person at work. If you don't have many Christians working around you, you may be the only one, but that's what Christianity is all about. is living a sincere life in a world that is not sincere. The world is full of hypocrisy, but we in the kingdom cannot grow comfortable with hypocrisy. And again, I urge you to not use the excuses, but everybody at my workplace does that. The world will always have the majority. Let's continue on as we think about no matter what in the third chapter in 23. Notice as we continue this thought, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Isn't that interesting? That God is uh, obviously He's our Creator. He knows us better than we know ourselves, and He's just jumping out there and He's saying things before we can even offer the excuse, before we can even say, "Well, God, my job doesn't really matter. All I do is make products. All I do is as I, I do a service for people. My job doesn't matter." And God says, "Ho, oh, whoa!" He says, "Your job matters." Whatever you do, do it heartily. Aren't you thankful that there's people that make products? When these services are over this morning, I'm going to go, and I'm going to get in a car, and odds are it's going to crank because we have people that make products, and it's going to have gasoline. And I'm going to be able to drive somewhere because we have people that transport things. I've been able to go and to buy gasoline. And I'm going to be able to eat a meal because we have people that have grown crops. Have you just thought through your day? What jobs in America are not important? And if you'll start thinking about all the things that bless your life, and if you look at a job and say, that's not an important job, take that out of your life and then see if you don't think it's an important job. Listen, God's the one who designed us and our community, if you will. As a, as a nation, we are very much like 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, where we need each other. We can go around this room and we could ask everybody here, what job do you fulfill? And the truth is, your job blesses every one of us. And So then we say, God, how, how do you want me to do my job? Whatever it is. I think about the days that my children were younger and uh, I'd be invited to career day. You know, and I go into career day in the little elementary schools and, and I'm a preacher, a minister. What, what, what do you think preachers do? Some smart kid in the class, preach. Then <laughs> I say, what, what else do you think preachers do? I, I don't know. Nobody would know. Say, you want me to tell you about some things I do each day of the week? And I just start on Monday and I'd go through Friday and then I'd go to Sunday. And usually on the way out, most of the time the teacher would say, I had no idea that preachers did those things. Most of you don't know what preachers do. And that's all right, you're not a preacher. I don't know all the things you do. Your job, there's not many here that knows everything you deal with. But you know who does? God does. And God says, "I want you to be submissive. First be submissive to me. And then be submissive to the people that are over you." And he says, "I want you to be sincere. Go to work and be the person you're supposed to be to me all the time." doesn't matter who's looking or who's not looking. Be sincere. Don't become a hypocrite over a few dollars or over a, an opportunity to not work so hard. Be sincere. And then by the way, less Satan whispers in your ear, it doesn't matter what you do. You do it hardly as to the Lord. Why? Because there is coming a wonderful, wonderful payday. Look at the 24th and 25th verse. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Preacher, I can't believe you took something like going to work and made it a topic of salvation. And I didn't. But God did. He really did. He said, just know that you may be going to work just to keep a job and to keep a paycheck. But he said, on the day of judgment, we're going to talk about whether or not you were sincere in how you worked. Brethren, that is sobering. And as Shane prayed in his prayer this morning that we would remember who we are, whether we're at school or at work, we need to remember that God has sent his son so that we could be delivered from the power of darkness, not so that we could come over into this kingdom to live the same old life. He gave his son so that we could come into this kingdom to live this new life. And it is different. And the world won't fully understand it. But we do so for the eternal reward and to make sure that we don't have the payment that is negative on that day. And then finally, if you would look at the fourth chapter in verse one, I just want to remind all of you that you have people that work under you at work. Uh, In other words, let's let God remind you. Colossians 4 and verse 1. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Absolute power absolutely corrupts. What is he saying here in verse 1? It's almost as if God is clearing his throat to get your attention to say, hey, just remember, you're not the big one you're not the one that owns everything even though you may own your business you're not the one that ultimately tells everybody what to do even though in your workplace you may tell everybody what to do God says you remember I'm your master okay God I remember that now master I'm about to go to work tomorrow how do you want me to treat the people that work with and for me. He said, I don't care what the laws are. I don't care what is expected from other people. You are now a Christian employer. I want you to give them what is just and what is fair, period. It's a shame when people give people as little as they can to keep them when they give them as much work as they could possibly give them without driving them away from their work. I want you to notice again in the fourth chapter in verse one, he used the word give. He didn't use the word pay, which is interesting because the word give carries with it the idea of generosity. Masters, I want you instead of using that person completely and wholly for your good, I want you to see how you can use your authority and your business and your company for their good also. Give them what is just. Give them what is fair. But God, it's my business. And he clears his throat again. No, it's my business. And you work for me. What a beautiful thought. Because if we work for him, we work for the best, the greatest, the wisest. And he'll guide us in all the ways that we need to be guided. So what did I learn today? Number one, I learned that kingdom living impacts every relationship that I have. Number two, kingdom people ought to be the best workers in the workplace. Number three, kingdom people are sincere because their God is. And finally, kingdom people live in view of eternity. This morning, does your life as a Christian prove the doctrine that you proclaim. Lest at work you boldly say to someone tomorrow defending scripture, oh I believe in the Bible. Or to an atheist, I believe that there's a God. Does your life prove it? Let's make sure that we go into the workplace. And that we show people not the old us but the new us The new creature that's been formed by God, like Jesus in his image. If you're ready to become a Christian this morning, we'd love to assist you with that. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ or if you need to be restored. we studied a topic this morning that I don't think there's anything difficult about understanding it, but it sure is hard to live out. And so maybe this morning you're looking and saying, there's some things I need to straighten up in my spiritual life. There's some things that I need to do different in the workplaces. There's some excuses I need to stop making. And if we can encourage you in that, if we can pray with you for about that, whatever we can do to encourage you, come as we stand and as